0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of Tammy Ginders.
1: Once again, this week we're wondering about all things Manx. Well, maybe somebody who didn't start off as Manx but is very well known now.
0: I am going to have a real puzzler for you and a great challenge as well, just involving one match. Can't
1: wait. A little bit later, ball lightning as well. I mean, don't adjust your sets, it's not what you think, but it is quite interesting.
0: (laughs) Well, I think it's interesting. Uh, It's something that's fascinated me for ages and it just sort of came about through an unlikely source, realistically, so I thought I'd find out a little bit more. And obviously, if people do know more about it, they can get in touch, Howard Cain at manxradio.com or Beth Espy at manxradio.com. But to start...
1: We are going back to the Manx Museum to find out about some manx worthies. Okay, so we are back in the Manx Museum and we're with Katie King again. And Katie, we're going to talk about somebody who, first of all, many people will feel that they know a lot about
2: because they hear his name quite often. Who is that? Yeah, so we're going to talk about Henry Bloom Noble, who, um, his name is really well known anyway, even if the person isn't, and his wife, Rebecca Noble. Um, Their stories are really interesting and they are connected to the building we're stood in today, the Manx Museum. So I thought that would be an appropriate subject to start us with. He was born in Cumbria, in fact, and he moved to the Isle of Man in his in his 20s, um, where he sort of really excelled at business. He he started off in Cumberland, sort of as a wine and spirit merchant. Then he came to Douglas to run a wine and spirit merchants here. So he's like a manager, and then he just kept making really sound business decisions, and it was at a time when the Isle of Man was sort of um, the tourist industry was beginning to take off the mines there was lots of profit to be made in the mines and what he essentially did was invest really wisely um, and then in his own lifetime he became the richest man on the Isle of Man by quite some margin um, and when he de- when he died he was worth in property alone about um, In today's money about 10 million pounds so he was really really very wealthy um he was known to be quite ruthless in his business dealings as well but um as he got a bit older into his 40s he met um, a local woman rebecca thompson her name was so rebecca thompson was um a well-known charity worker on the island she was very wealthy her family were very very wealthy Um, and she was very religious she was a devout christian and she went to st george's church in douglas as all the great and the good did actually at that time and she was very well connected on the island and as i say independently wealthy and she I'm guessing as an unmarried woman at that time um, decided to devote herself to to charity work and she was highly thought of. Anyway, at some stage they met, probably at St George's Church, I imagine. Um, I should say at this point that Henry Bloom Noble was from working stock. He was, um, it's a rags to riches story, I suppose. He wasn't of an upper class like she was. So I don't know if that was important at the time. I suspect not. I think money spoke on the Isle of Man and you could certainly by your way through the ranks of society. So I, su- I suspect he was considered a gentleman um, at this point when they met anyway. And they were married, and they were married quite late in life and they had no children. And from the point of their marriage, it seems, if you look at sort of um, the evidence of, of Henry Bloom Noble's charity work, that that is when he became this sort of very philanthropic individual. They were fantastically wealthy. They had a country house um, in London and then they later bought the Villa Marina. There was a sort of um, gentleman's mansion known as the Villa Marina, which is the site we know now, um, where they lived. And Rebecca, in particular, was quite appalled by the poverty of Douglas. Their, a lot of their work's focused on Douglas. Um, Douglas, at this time, was really growing hugely to serve as the tourist industry. But this is a time before welfare state, before um, the NHS. People were, you know, dying of very minor illnesses. There was epidemics and terrible disease outbreak. Really, if you had fallen into hard, t- hard times, there was nothing for you. There was nothing to pick you up. So that's what Rebecca in particular focused on. So her her family funded the House of Industry, which is on Kingswood Grove, just coming off where we are now, the mm-hmm. museum, which is now the Ellen Bannon Memorial Home. Um, and Henry and Rebecca would go there at Christmas for Christmas dinner. Um, and not only were they... Um, have an interest in that they seem to take an interest in the lives of the people that live there so rebecca noble in particular they opened an orphanage two on the isle of man and one in cumbria and they once once the boys left the orphanage she took an interest in those boys for life so um it seems i mean looking back that perhaps her sort of maternal instincts were put onto the poor particularly boys of, of Douglas, who were sort of destitute. The House of Industry was one of her passions, the orphanage, and there was um, a hospital in the Isle of Man of Sorts on Fort Street. It was called a dispensary, which meant that yeah, they would give medicine for free to the poor, and it had two beds in it. There was also an um, infectious disease hospital at the White Hoe, and that was to try and stop these outbreaks, particularly smallpox outbreaks and things like that. But there wasn't any sort of hospital to serve the people of the Isle of Man. If you were wealthy, you'd pay for a doctor to come to you, that sort of thing. So um, in the 1880s, Rebecca owned the land we're stood on now, so we're stood on um, in the Manx Museum. She owned this land, it was a greenfield site, and she gifted it to the poor people of Douglas, and she persuaded her husband to also give £20,000 of his own money to build the hospital and equip it. That's about £1.25 million today. So of their own money, they built this hospital. At the time, it was described as the finest in the world. It was very modern, um, and it had 32 beds in it. So they funded all of that and they kept an endowment to keep it running. Really sadly, Rebecca Noble died um, suddenly in 1888, just before this building opened. And it's this very badly affected uh, her husband, obviously. he was They were very close. Um, so he set up a charitable trust in her name initially to keep this hospital going um, and that, Became the Henry Blue Noble Trust that we know today. So even today, there's so much money in that pot um, from his from his investments. You know, and it's been very well looked after initially from the initial trustees and over the preceding years, that they've just bought, for example, um, a one million pound MRI machine for the hospital. They funded, um, or part funded, the, the new children's hospice, Rebecca House, named after Rebecca Noble. And in the museum, we've got a cup. we've got loads of things actually connected to Henry Bloom Noble. We've got his archive and the, um, the trustees, all the sort of archive archival material relating to the trustees. But we've also got a really beautiful object, which is the trowel that Rebecca Noble used to lay the foundation stone of this building. So you probably walk past it loads of times, but if you look at the Manx Museum, as you walk past, there's a cornerstone that Rebecca... Um, well she wouldn't have put it in herself but she was there (laughs) so it's made of carved ivory and on the silver work it's got an engraving of the Nobles Hospital, the architectural plans of the Nobles Hospital as they envisaged, so she used this trowel in the ceremonial ceremony and it's ultimately ended up here with us at the Manx Museum and it's on display in our Museum 100 exhibition and the cornerstone is marked with Rebecca's name because she laid it, yeah so really sadly she wasn't here for the actual opening and and most of the opening speeches seem to have been about the sort of bereft Isle of Man yeah. that Rebecca wasn't there to see this thing that she'd she'd fought for, um, and even if you th- if if you read about her funeral, it seems to be very dramatic. So, all the great and the good gathered at Villa Marina in their carriages as the hearse was taken to St George's, and it was it said in the newspapers that Henry Blue Noble had to be helped into his carriage; he was so broken. Um, and then all the poor of the people lined the streets. And she was very good. He was a, a major shareholder in the steam packet company, Henry Blue Noble. And she used to give welfare packages to the, to the employees. So all the employees lined the streets and people um, shut their blinds and close their curtains. It seems like a, a real Victorian funeral um, that affected the Isle of Man um, and then yeah he carried on um, the philanthropic works in her name. Some of the things that I think are really sweet actually is that they, they funded or he funded, the trust funded Noble's swimming Pool, Noble's Bath and that was free to all Manx school children. He, they also funded free school dinners for Manx school children. They were very focused on helping the working poor because I guess he, he came from from nothing and he wanted to bring other people up. I think he went quite bitter towards the end as well, sadly, he fell out with quite a lot of people, but that charitable legacy should never be forgotten.
0: And I don't suppose realistically that charity legacy is forgotten because there's still nobles, everything, it's just how much people remember about the man himself uh, and indeed his other half, as with we hearing of his wife as well, did so much. And I was sort of thinking after we were doing that, is there a- other modern day equivalents? I
1: don't know would you necessarily know about them? There are trusts and charities I suppose but it, I think that the Rebecca side of this story is the most um, significant really because mm. I knew that it was called Rebecca House and that sudden realisation that it's because of her um, it's called that and actually I think from what Katie was saying, she really was the driving force for many of their charitable works. So the original power couple, we reckon. Yeah.
0: Although interestingly, again, I was thinking when we were going around doing that, and I was thinking, yeah, can I think of a modern day parallel? And the only one that I could sort of think of, and it's a shift of the times, isn't it, was someone like David Doricott or whatever, mm, yeah. in as much as back in the day then, clearly... Uh, Henry Bloom Noble and his wife they were sort of rather and she in particular were sort of really concerned about the the poverty on the Isle of Man and I'm not suggesting there's no poverty now but by and large the Isle of Man is seen as quite a wealthy place and you think that like of uh, David Doricott and his company that every year give away hundreds of thousands or sometimes millions of pounds but it tends to go to third world countries with people who are without a doubt much, much worse off than anyone on the Isle of Man is.
1: Interesting, isn't mm. it? But um, yeah, fascinating finding out about the nobles and we'll be finding out about somebody else next week.
0: Right, you've got your little book of words there. This has been quite good fun, this one. Just remind us of what it is.
1: This is A Little Book of Laxie, A Miscellany of Incidents, Accidents and Hot Topics, and it's from the Manx newspapers from 1793 to 1899. It was compiled and edited by Sue King. Um, Okay, I'm going to go from the back this time, so I'm going to flick through. You tell me when to stop.
0: Right, uh, three, two, one, stop.
1: Okay. oh...
0: It's almost not another sad oh, one, is it? It looks like
1: a sad one. Oh. Ooh, do you want the sad one or the not sad one? Oh, can we have the
0: not sad one, please?
1: Okay. April the 17th, 1886, Dune Glen Hotel. Oh, yes. Mr Bailey of the Doom Glen is at present erecting a fine hotel at the top of the Glen on the side of the Ramsey Road. On the ground floor, there will be a bar, 52 feet by 20, an office, sculleries, kitchen, sitting room, bar, parlour, car, men's room, pantries, etc. The sculleries will communicate with the dining saloon by means of slides, and the office command a few of the whole of the ground floor. Upstairs, there will be a large front room, 32 feet by 15, capable of being divided into two rooms and a suite of bedrooms. There will be an entire frontage of 116 feet. Mr Bailey expects to have the place in working order for the coming season. And this impressive hotel, so that's the good news. The not so good news is that this hotel was destroyed by fire in 1932. And you can actually still see the remains of the lower walls at the back of the Dune car park.
0: Is that right? Mm -hmm. Wow. There is a sort of Dune hotel still there, the pub or whatever, isn't there? Yeah, uh, yeah, which seems to keep changing hands and opens and closes and restaurants and whatever. But...
1: There you go. Different
0: image, yeah. Well, I didn't know the original one had burned down. Uh, speaking of burning down, here's a real burning topic for you. I wonder, it's something that's puzzled me for ages. So I thought it, it came up in dispatches recently. Have a listen. Here we are then, Beth. Here's a really fascinating one. One I've I've wondered, Tammy Ginders, I really have wondered about it for ages. Have you ever heard of ball lightning? I think you're making it up. No. it's Well, I say it's a real phenomenon. I've heard about it for years. And it seems to me it's one of these things. I've seen lightning, and a lightning storm's always exciting, isn't it? Go on, you're going to say something? About oh, I was me?
1: just wondering if you needed to go to a chemist.
0: You're shooting off down a totally separate avenue there, aren't you? Honestly, listen, listen, this is a serious matter we're okay, talking about on. here. So, proper lightning, which right. we're all sheet lightning and fork lightning, we we're all aware of. And then there's this phenomenon supposedly called ball lightning which seems incredibly rare, and there seems to be a bit of a debate from what I've read about of whether it really, really exists or quite where it fits into the phenomena scale, although there have been various reports. And I always assumed it was in the sort of places you get tornadoes or whatever out in Texas and the big plains and such like. And then recently, in short order, I've had two reports, Not they are sort of historical ones, not something that's happened in the last few weeks, but two reports of people claiming to have seen, it seems like, ball lightning here on the Isle of Man. Okay. Okay. I've just
1: just—I've never heard of it. I'll be honest, I've never heard of it. I do love a good lightning show. You know, when there's thunder and lightning and you're watching it, it's amazing. Ball lightning, I think, would be quite terrifying, wouldn't it?
0: And it's literally this. I think it appears to be, you know, it appears like a ball of fire in all sorts of weird spots and then usually moves, sometimes in a room. I've heard of it in planes. uh, In planes? Yeah, actually, I've heard a report of it coming down the central aisle of a plane, I don't know. Obviously, you just don't know. We brought along a man here, and we'll play a clip in a minute here, but Adrian Cowan from the Met Office. Now, you've been forecasting and watching the weather for a long time. I, I'm assuming you've heard of it, and I'm assuming like the rest of us, you've never actually seen it or have first-hand account of it.
3: Well, you're correct. I, I have heard of it, <laughs> um, but never observed it, and neither have any of my colleagues, and including my retired colleagues. And the Met Office has been around for over 75 years. And nobody's observed it at the Met Office or recalls seeing reports come into the Met Office and we get lots of reports Mm. about strange things going on in the sky and around our coast, but never anything about ball lightning. But at least I've heard of it and it seems to be that it happens just about anywhere in the world, but nearly always it is associated with thunderstorms.
0: Okay. Well, tell you what, let's have a listen to this one then. So, this is what the first one I heard, and this is a piece you can uh, listen to this in full on the Culture of Annen website. We were talking about it the other week. This is a Norma Cowell, retired head teacher, uh, talking, and uh, this is her going back. So, I think this is the 1960s, 70s, 50s, somewhere around that sort of era, I guess. And here's Norma. So, let's listen to this. It's only a couple of minutes, and she talks about seeing apparently ball lightning.
4: Just got one thing to ask you about yeah? a ball of fire. A ball of fire crossing yes. the road. That was unbelievable. Tell me about that, because I'll be in trouble if I don't ask you. I had my mother and my aunt with me Mm -hmm. in the car. Two aunts and my mother. I used to take them out of of an early evening or something, or a Saturday or a Sunday. I'd pop them in the car and take them for a drive. went all over the island, as I had done as a child. So, we were at the crossroads just outside Ballisella. Cross four ways. Yes, it's called. And um, we were driving along and we'd only just gone through the crossroads and all of a sudden we all screamed because a ball of fire (sighs) came down. It was a round ball, flames, down the hedge, across the road and up and over the next hedge. And we all screamed. How big was it? It was about that big. So bigger than a football, like a beach ball. It size. was bigger than a football. It might, it wasn't as big as a, as a motorbike wheel. Mm-hmm. It was pretty round, but it was flaming. Now, had I seen that and been alone in the car, I'd have put myself to Balamona. Mm-hmm. Or I'd have been worried or told the doctor. But there were, there were four of us in the car. And did you go and look over the hedge? Yes. I I drew I pulled in very quickly and I went and looked over the hedge and there was nothing. <gasps> How strange. How it took strange. me a while because it, it, it was quite a tall hedge. It had mm. come over and twice a tall one it went back over the other side. But four of us saw it. Mm-hmm. And when we ever went past there again, if I had one of these ants in, they'd say, wasn't it somewhere near here that ball of fire went across the road? <sighs> well, that's... Now, I can't explain it,
2: mm-hmm.
4: but the four of us saw it and the four of us often talked about it. Oof. There
0: we go.
1: What you need now is a dash cam. Oh, well, you I know you see these now, days you, you might yeah. do,
0: uh, although the trouble is, of course, I was watching something on YouTube when I was doing a little bit of background on this. And there's one very convincing one of what looks like ball lightning crossing a railway track and the sparks going off the lines and such like it's fake it's you you, you look at it it's brilliantly done but a few people had noticed the sound effects of the sparking didn't sound quite right and sounded like it was coming from a studio rather than actually open there and the chap who did it eventually said yeah actually I was just having a bit of fun and he he was clearly very talented and it looks totally believable but it was all absolute rubbish
1: so Eddie you said you haven't seen it your Met Office colleagues haven't seen it Mm.
3: do you believe
1: it exists though I'm a
3: believer are
0: you
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes
3: um and I decided to do some more reading up on this, and there's quite a lot of evidence out there, um, scientific and other <laughs> written evidence. Not um, Nobody i would noticed had come up with credible reasons, mm. but scientists are looking into this as we speak, and are trying to replicate what's going on. Either a lot of energy going into gas, turning into a plasma that glows, or something else that I read which ties up with some work being done by Chinese scientists is that it is associated with lightning strikes from a thunderstorm hitting the ground and instead of just a flashbang, it is energizing the particles in the ground lifting them into nanoparticles energized into a ball of particles made up of iron, calcium, silica and Turning it into an energy ball that floats or moves across the ground, and that ties in with some of the descriptors that we've seen people, members of the public, and others, describing what's going on. This ball that sometimes rolls along the ground as a bright light, and sometimes it lifts, and it comes in all different sizes as well, from a few centimeters up to somebody said the size of a car. Ooh, that's, big.
0: that's big. That's big. Yeah, well, I'll give you this other one because off the back of this, um, just following on from what you said there, Adrian. Um, Ernie Thorne, uh, he of Opera Hour fame, uh, listened to the programme and he said, oh, he says, funny enough, H, I've got another fireball story for you. My grandmother was born in 1888 and lived in the old Hanover Street. She recounted to me that a fireball had come down their chimney into the fireplace, floated across her room and left, I think, by, she said, by the window, but I can't be sure, I can't remember. So they followed it to the nunnery where it then disappeared. The most remarkable thing about her story was that she told it as it was no big deal <laughs> as mm. though it was a commonplace occurrence mm. and nothing to be scared of i'm assuming his his grand, uh, grandmother was a of a different generation it was just a case of well these things happen and off on we go as it were
1: that'd be like me if i ever stern, saw
0: one sterner stuff but it's that same yeah. idea again of this sort of ball and i'd, I'd heard of this plasma idea mm. b- uh, before i hadn't heard of the nanoparticles one another fascinating one <laughs> but it sounds i suppose just because science hasn't actually officially logged it yet doesn't mean it can't exist
1: maybe that's where the song goodness gracious great balls of fire actually came from
0: you could be it it could be not a million miles off the market so it's possible the shame of it is if we had a date i thought certainly for the more recent one we it would have been possible to say maybe go back on the records and see whether it was a a thundery Mm. a thundery day that day Mm. and there was a lot of energy in the air
1: I think we should talk about this more next week because there is another Manx Radio presenter who has a story to tell about ball lightning. Um, But we've reached a time of the programme, H, where we're going to do a challenge and I've got a match.
0: Yeah, you've got a match. Very simple, this one. So you stick your thumb out. Yeah. And then can you balance that match vertically on your thumb? Vertically? Yeah.
1: No, I don't think
0: so. Can you get it to stand on your thumb? No.
1: Oh, there's going to be... I'm going to lick my answer. thumb because last week I had to lick it, so I wondered if uh, maybe that's it. You can not do it. What yeah, about, so. can I use my finger? Eh?
0: You've got you to take your, you're not allowed, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to actually hold your finger to there. hold it. Okay. But you just do it like that, you see, there you go.
1: Oh, how are you doing it? So, how are you doing it and I can't, there's going to be some, did you lick your finger? No. Did you lick the match? No, I didn't
0: lick my finger. I didn't lick the match. Has yours got a bigger bottom than mine? No, it hasn't. It looks exactly the same. Oh. It's, a, it's a good one, that, isn't it? Go on. Like that. There, you have you got it? You're almost there.
1: Am I? Do you just push it in so far that it's in so the dent? hold it
0: nice and firmly and then just release. Okay,
1: I'm holding it firm. Release. No, it's still falling off. I'll try it with my left hand.
0: You haven't got fat enough fingers, have you?
1: No, it's not working.
0: <sighs> right. You obviously need, yeah. So put your other one, press it down, press it into the pad of your thumb, at it and hold and just press, 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 press without snapping. And then just hold it gently with your finger and just release the top one without. So you might need just to hold that, hold it steady and just take the top one off there and see if it goes. <gasps> Yay! No. Well, close. Off. Pretty close. Pretty close.
1: Okay, I've had a dip in the archive room and I have found some romantic poetry dating you have back to 2007.
0: 2007. Shall we see what there? Hang on. This oh, this sounds very romantic.
1: very
3: romantic. Come live with me and be my love, and we will all the pleasures prove that valleys, groves, hills and fields, woods, or steeply mountain yields, and we will sit upon the rocks seeing the shepherds feed their flocks, by shallow rivers to whose falls melodious birds sing madrigals, and I will make thee beds of roses and a thousand fragrant poses, a cap of flowers and a kirtle, embroidered all with leaves of... Myrtle, a gown made of the finest wool, which from our pretty lambs we pull, fair lined slippers for the cold, with buckles of the purest gold, a belt of straw, and our
0: own Bob Harrison. Harrison 2007. We feature on this as well, somewhere down the mix.
1: Maybe we should keep this one for next week.
0: Oh, maybe we should play more. That's more or less it for this week, though. Uh, would you believe time's gone again? Look after yourself, same time, same place next week.
1: Take care, bye bye.